This is an RNZ podcast. Back in mid-May, news broke of a disturbing online hack that turned out to be possibly the most serious cybersecurity breach in New Zealand history that we know of, at least. In some developing news, Waikato District Health Board is currently experiencing an outage of all information services. The outage is affecting all clinical services to varying degrees across hospitals in the Waikato. And we now know it took months for the Waikato DHB to get back to normal, and it wasn't just an outage. Data, including people's private medical records, were harvested by criminal hackers seeking to cash in on it by demanding a ransom. And when they didn't get it from the DHB or from the government after six weeks, this happened. Data stolen from Waikato DHB's computer system has been published on the dark web. It follows last month's ransomware attack that disrupted five hospitals. That was TVNZ1 News back on the 29th of June, after which reporter Laura James told viewers this. One News hasn't seen it, but this expert has no doubt it's all from the DHB. Well, I chose a management document that was unlikely to contain personal information. I opened that and it came from Waikato DHB. That was the voice of a cybersecurity expert, Daniel Ayres, who told TVNZ that when he looked at the data, he found bank details of staff, DHB business information, as well as people's private medical information. Also, some of the material that we can see was also included in the information previously leaked to some media organisations, and I understand that was confirmed as being genuine. The hackers had sent a link to it to other media as well, including RNZ. Media organisations have been sent an email from a group claiming responsibility and it contains a link to what appears to be scores of private patient and staff data. The Registered Doctors Association representative Deborah Powell told Morning Report that doctors were worried on patients' behalf about the media seeing their private stuff. You know, from the point of view of the media having received the stuff but not using it, um, that will help immensely because the confidence of the staff to carry on, no pressure on them, uh, not being as great because that information won't be released, that will help. That will help a lot. And with all that in mind, Deborah Powell said she was reassured by RNZ's stance. And RNZ has referred the email to the police and digitally confined the information, which we won't be publishing. But it turned out that RNZ had not confined this information from its own news gathering. One month later, Morning Report co-host Corin Dan told listeners this. A child spent more than nine weeks in a Waikato hospital because Oranga Tamariki failed to find anywhere else for them to live. Documents posted on the dark web by the cyber attackers who targeted the DHB reveal staff were deeply concerned by aspects of the agency's work in one of its hospitals. In material reviewed by RNZ, staff at the Waikato District Health Board said they were extremely distressed by the agency's treatment of a traumatised child who experienced feelings of abandonment. So if RNZ had said four weeks earlier they wouldn't publish the stolen data, which the hackers were using for extortion, why did RNZ then air a story about what they found in it? RNZ is broadcasting this story as the documents raise questions of public interest importance Porter Kate Gregan said this child wasn't unwell and was meant to be there for just one week under a special arrangement with the DHB, but shockingly the child was still there weeks later. One experienced nurse described it as the most distressing uplift in her entire career in paediatrics. Now the words uplift and oranga tamariki have been in a fair few controversial stories in 2020 and 2021. Revelations about uplifts by newsroom.co.nz prompted no fewer than five inquiries into Oranga Tamariki and also apologies and changes at the top. But while RNZ could get no statement from Oranga Tamariki, it had this one on its own behalf for its listeners. 
RNZ's view is that reporting this story is in the public interest and all care has been taken to protect the identity and interests of the child involved. All documents have been securely handled and no confidential patient information has been retained by RNZ. And all this worried the Privacy Commissioner of New Zealand, John Edwards. Before Morning Report was off the air that day, he'd released a statement which said this. This reporting would appear to raise quite significant ethical questions, and I would be concerned to think of journalists trawling through illegally obtained deeply sensitive personal information to identify and generate stories. The fact that one media source would appear to have done so may prompt others to do so, effectively creating a market for this very personal material. The Privacy Commissioner went on to say he was considering whether to lay a complaint with the media watchdogs, the Broadcasting Standards Authority and the New Zealand Media Council. A few days later, though, this was RNZ News on the 4th of August. RNZ has been banned from using any more of the information stolen in the Waikato District Health Board cyber attack and ordered to permanently delete any copies of it from its systems. In a judgment released today, Justice Churchman stopped short of requiring RNZ to take the story down. However, RNZ cannot use any more of the hacked information and all copies have to be deleted. It's not the first time that hacked and stolen data has made headlines. Nikki Hager's books Hollow Men and Dirty Politics are cases in point and the blogger exposed in Dirty Politics, Cameron Slater, also hired someone to illegally access a left-wing blog called The Standard and this was only revealed after he sought a court order to keep his name and details of the case secret but NewsHub took legal action and won the right to tell the tale. Overseas, hacked data is the source of more and more headlines too. The same day back in June that RNZ aired that Oranga Tamariki scoop, the WNYC podcast On The Media asked, how do you balance what's newsworthy against potential harms of revealing private stuff that's been hacked, sometimes for money? Nude celebrity photos or somebody's random medical records, they're too harmful to publish in a legit media outlet and it's not particularly newsworthy. Exactly. If something was unbelievably newsworthy and it was a clear, you know, let's say Russian hacking operation, but it was legitimate, I think most outlets would still go for it. There is no single standard. Every media outlet sort of decides on its own what it feels comfortable doing. But can they feel comfortable when hackers are doing this for extortion? So the double extortion is when the hackers also threaten to leak the data if they don't get their money which is what happened earlier this year to Jones Day, one of the biggest law firms in the country. Well, one who is clearly still not comfortable with media outlets deciding what they feel comfortable doing with hacked data is the Privacy Commissioner John Edwards, who still doesn't think RNZ did the right thing. I think it's really important that um, the ethical dimensions of this get thoroughly examined because uh, it's unlikely that this will be the last instance we see of personal information being stolen and, and it shouldn't be regarded as being there to identify news stories. In this instance, uh, Radio New Zealand was not aware of any public interest when it accessed the information. So that's a ends justifies the means argument. So I'd, I'd like the, um, you know, the relevant authorities to um, examine those uh, standards and codes and see whether they are fit for purpose in this modern age. If you come out one layer further, the example that this has set is very troubling to a lot of people. And I've had calls from people who say, you know, I was treated at this hospital. Um, is my information in the stolen data set? You know, that's a matter of anxiety for, I think, quite a lot of people in that district. You know, Radio New Zealand in this case has, I think, really pushed up against that 
boundary, I think crossed it. And Radio New Zealand is mostly a pretty responsible uh, and reputable uh, organisation. There are many others who may look at this example and say, wow, great source, you know, there's 20 gigabytes of data, I wonder what we can find out about whom. Before we go any further, this has been challenged in court, uh, in this specific instance with RNZ effectively being ordered, you know, not to use that information anymore. Doesn't that establish if not a precedent, then certainly a principle that, that media could follow. Do, do you consider that media ought to look at that and say, actually, we, we really can't or shouldn't use data that we get via a similar route in the future? It's very helpful, and I think um, orders should have been sought as soon as the DHB became aware that the information was available on the dark web. The orders that... What, even a preemptive strike against news media using it? Yes. Specifically? Well that, yes. That's, in fact, what has been um, issued, because that order is effective against any other news outlet now from accessing or using information from the stolen data set. Well, if we look at what happened here, just so it's clear for listeners, so the hackers who want to profit from this uh, sent media organisations a link to the information. The the penetration of of the DHB's IT system had those huge knock-on effects over a number of weeks. Are you saying it's not okay for the media to have a look? Because isn't it legitimate for them to want to know that these people weren't bluffing? There's, I mean, there's an enormous story there about um, the impact of the leak on the operations and the ransomware on, on the operations of the organisation. But once that's confirmed, uh, I don't believe that there is any public interest uh, in the media going through uh, and looking up details of people who have had access to the health system. But, I mean, this is a story about a child stuck in a hospital, and of great concern among DHB staff about this. It also concerned an organisation, Oranga Tamariki, which has been at the heart of a whole range of stories about its competence and its conduct recently, and those are, those are certainly stories of genuine public interest. So once a journalist has seen this information, you can't really ask them to ignore that, can you? Again, um, that public interest is predicated on this unethical access to unlawfully obtained information. It's stolen property. You would have preferred RNZ once they, even they'd seen that, not to publicise it at all? I, I, they shouldn't have seen it. If, Ar- if, if uh, Colin, uh, a Radio New Zealand journalist, walks past uh, an office of Oranga Tamariki and, and finds that the door's open, should they walk in? Once they walk in, they see a computer terminal that's on. Should they sit down? Should they tap away at that? So RNZ, as you mentioned, I mean, it, it has a fairly good track record of not being cavalier about people's privacy. It's a public service broadcaster which, uh, you know, exists to serve the public, and they make judgments about the public interest uh, all the time. Uh, they're not interested in making money, as commercial media might be, and they're certainly not trying to damage anyone's reputation. Can't they be trusted, in your mind, to to serve the public interest in, in this instance? No, clearly not. I mean, the evidence is in, is in the action. How many other documents did they look through before they found the one that they thought there was a public interest in? You know, how much harm has that done to um, the individuals whose uh, privacy has been breached? What do you consider to be best practice? What should every media organisation do as soon as they receive the link or the approach or the material itself in some form or other from someone who they can be pretty sure has acquired it illegally? Well, the first thing, I think, is to notify the um, agency which is the legitimate custodian of the information so that they can take steps to protect that information. Uh, And that may mean seeking the sorts of orders that Waikato DHB obtained last week a bit more promptly. Uh, And that would um, take the burden of those difficult judgments away from the media because they'd be prohibited by the court. Uh, And and, this could be a race to the bottom. As I say, um, Radio New Zealand has decided to go and see what it can find and then um, uh, construct the public interest 
uh, argument. I do think there is um, a need for media to reflect on how it uh, responds to um, these kinds of incidents in the future, and I think that the uh, oversight agencies, such as the uh, Broadcasting Standards Authority, have a role to play there in setting some ethical limits. And so you're going to go ahead now and pursue this with either Broadcasting Standards Authority or Media Council, possibly both? Yes, that's my intention. John Edwards, the Privacy Commissioner, speaking to me earlier this week, and clearly he didn't think RNZ made the right call back in June to air that story, which was sourced from data hacked from the Waikato DHB and then handed to the media, and which a court has subsequently said the media must not publish or even retain. So how and why did RNZ decide that the public interest in airing that story about a child in Oranga Tamariki's care who ended up in hospital for weeks overrode concerns about privacy or where that data came from in the first place. RNZ's editor-in-chief is its chief executive, Paul Thompson. Well, you're right, it was a difficult decision, and I haven't had to consider one of these, something quite like this before. The reporting was really careful and judicious, and senior editors guided uh, the reporting all the way through. The head of news and I had to wrestle with it uh, with legal advice to decide whether the story was in the public interest to to publish and broadcast, which we did. Okay, but was it a unanimous decision? Were there people at RNZ that felt actually it was the wrong call and you had to make a call on that as editor-in-chief? We canvassed every opinion, tried to look at it from other angles and challenged ourselves, and we had legal advice to help guide that. Um, But in the end, um, you know, I was confident, um, as was Richard, our head of news, that we'd taken what steps we needed to take to ensure we protected the privacy of the individual and that the public interest, because this was a harrowing story about a child that was effectively institutionalised because of uh, the lack of action and the actions of Oranga Tamariki, that it was justified to publish and broadcast the story. But John Edwards said, given the nature of the material and where it came from, you know, the the criminal nature of procuring it and sending it on to the media, RNZ and all media just shouldn't have looked at it. He called it unethical access to unlawful material. So he says your public interest argument is a kind of means justifies the ends thing, that it's as opportunistic as kind of sneaking into an Oranga Tamariki office through an open door, climbing onto their computers and and looking around. It's it's nothing like that at all. And um, it is good that the Privacy Commissioner is advocating his position. But the the role that media companies have and editors and journalists have is to, to weigh both the public and the private interest. And Many aspects of journalism do stray into areas where they cause privacy concerns. That's an an, an essential and um, unavoidable part of journalism. So looking at that material, you say flat out, is not unethical, whereas he says it is. Uh, Yes, I do. Initially, we went and looked on the dark web to see whether the material on the dark web was actually the material that had been compromised at the DHB. And there's no way of telling that unless you go and have a look at it. And that was an important aspect of journalistic inquiry. We then saw... As we looked at it, um, these particular files, and we looked at those files and then came across the story. What we didn't do is rove and roam across the database. We didn't look into private medical records. We were very, very focused, and we did it with the guidance of senior staff all along the way. But John Edwards says other media will see this and say, well, look, if it's OK for RNZ to dig around in what he calls unlawfully acquired material, it would be OK for them if this sort of situation arises again. So you've legitimised media to look at uh, material that could be passed on to them by people who are trying to profit from nicking it. 
Um, I would be highly surprised if um, something that RNZ does has that impact. Each company will make its own decision. Um, but also, I mean, the second point is I haven't seen any evidence of that. But that's not to well, say... He says he's had phone calls from people who are clients of that DHB who are alarmed and worried about mm-hmm. the possibility of journalists and media organisations looking at their private information. And indeed, in the court judgment we heard about earlier, it, the judge did say um, it would be a source of immense stress to all individuals whose confidential information is at risk of being misused. So those are genuine concerns, aren't they? Uh, they are concerns, but... It is a leap, I think, to say that our judicious reporting of this one particular matter, which is, has high public interest, somehow sets a precedent for everyone else and somehow creates a real risk that anyone's going to go in and look through private records in the way that people have the concerns about. I'm not saying that they're not entitled to raise those issues, and we should be talking about this. It is challenging, but I think it is a bit of a leap to say that our reporting has that impact. But it is an essential part of the debate that's now going to happen. Journalistic practice does evolve over time. And this is one example where we do need to think about, have this debate, get those different perspectives, and indeed see what the BSA and the Media Council think about this matter. Well, with that in mind, though, that court judgment, uh, it does oblige RNZ not to publish any more from that information. So do you consider that to be if not in a, a legal precedent, then at least a, a principle that obliges you and other media not to use material like this in the future? The DHB always had the option of seeking injunctive relief, even ahead of us looking into the story to prevent people using that material. RNZ was um, actually comfortable with um, the injunction that was sought because we have done the story. There was only one story we were interested in doing. And we don't have any other documents. We haven't retained those documents. We don't want to do any more reporting on this because of the circumstances in which we found out about this particular angle. So we didn't oppose that court injunction. What we did push back on was the DHB's request that we take down the stories from the web. Mm. um, And we've been able to um, hold that position, which I think is really important. So the the critical point about those court proceedings is that RNZ did not go in and argue our case in those court proceedings. We will do that, however, if formal complaints go through to the regulatory agencies. And we have an open mind in terms of how the debate now uh, develops. But I think it would be a very sad day where um, anyone started to develop prescriptive rules that constrain journalism and journalistic freedom. But some people listening to this will be thinking, RNZ, and and perhaps you personally, don't actually care much that this information came to you via a really illegal source. People looking to steal information from a public organisation and then monetise it and use the media exposure or the threat of it, uh, the distribution of it, as part of the leverage for getting a ransom. Um, I'm highly mindful of that. It is a real consideration, but it's not a binary matter in my view that that means that no journalistic inquiry is justified in these circumstances. It is a case-by-case matter. That is a real issue and I think that's something that the journalism profession is going to have to wrestle with. It's never going to be as clear-cut as perhaps some people would like and it will come down to how individual media organisations handle particular issues and I think the way we handle this issue 
giving all those, given all those circumstances, was appropriate. Will you do things differently next time? Would you consult anyone else first before you and the news leaders at RNZ make a decision on it? No, I think our process was robust and thoughtful and appropriate. Uh, every situation will be different. Um, one thing I should mention is you know, RNZ operates under a comprehensive editorial policy, and our actions in this case did comply with the policy, but we are actually going to go back and look at our policy to see whether we need to update it to cover this particular issue because, as you say, I think it is going to become something that happens that crops up more frequently. We just need to make sure our policy provides the right guidelines so we can make sure that we always weigh the public and privacy interests appropriately. That's Paul Thompson, Chief Executive at RNZ and also its Editor-in-Chief, talking to me there about the decision to air a story back in June that was sourced from stolen data from the Waikato District Health Board in which, as we heard earlier, the Privacy Commissioner is pursuing with media watchdogs, the Broadcasting Standards Authority and the New Zealand Media Council. So more on that story as it develops in future here on Media Watch.